Welcome to the Rolling Hills Community Church Sermon Podcast. We're so glad that you've joined us in our series, Easter, The Jesus Way. Jesus is our ultimate example for how we should live our lives. In this series, we are looking at Jesus's ministry, from his calling to his victory over the grave. We are walking alongside his journey to the cross, to his death and burial, and then to his resurrection. Each week, we will be deep diving into chapters 15 through 21 of the Gospel of John, leading us all the way to celebrate Christ's victory over the grave on Easter Sunday. Now let's tune in. All right. Well, if you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to open up to John chapter 19 this morning. Uh, We're in a series uh, called, as we work towards Easter, a series called The Jesus Way, where we're looking at the last seven chapters of the book of John and kind of looking at uh, Jesus' words and the works of Jesus uh, and, and just kind of leading up to Easter Sunday and all that Jesus has done in those days before his crucifixion and then resurrection and then following. Next week is Easter. I said this a second ago. Uh, we get to celebrate Easter today or next week and, and have baptisms. And uh, we have two services on that day. And I know we've said that out loud, but you know, next week, if you show up at 10 o'clock, uh, you'll be in the middle of a service or, or at the end of a service. Uh, and so we want to make sure that you show up at the right time. So 9 and 10.30 are the two services next week for our Easter gathering. So pick one of those and, uh, and be here and join us on that Sunday. And then the following week, um, as, as we work through uh, the passage, we'll work through June, or John 20 next week and then John 21, look at the restoration of, of Peter, one of, of Jesus' disciples who denied that he, ever knew, that he ever knew Jesus at all. And so we'll look at this restoration next week, resurrection, the following restoration. This week, uh, we're going to bring, um, we're going to look at uh, John chapter 19. Actually, I want to say this. And then after that, after we look at, uh, John, finish out John, uh, we're going to start a summer series. We're starting a little early, but we're going to start a summer series. It'll take us 16 weeks and it's called Masterclass. We've kind of done this the past couple summers where we work through just one particular book of the Bible. Uh, and then that's, that Sunday we'll begin that summer series Masterclass where we'll work through the book of Romans uh, for 16 weeks. And so it'll be a, an awesome time. Uh, and and really, I'm looking forward to just opening up one book, chapter by chapter, each week, uh, and working through that with you guys. Uh, this week, like I said, we're going to work through these 42 verses in John chapter 19 that tell us the story of what we have, for history, for, for a long time in history, have called, uh, most commonly have called Good Friday. In the church calendar, this, these are the events that are happening around Good Friday. The Friday of Jesus' death where he's crucified on a cross and and buried in a tomb. And uh, by the end of this day, by the end of the time that we finish in John chapter 19, Jesus will have been uh, through a a trial. And then on the other side of a trial, he'll be crucified and then put in a tomb uh, in the garden tomb there in, in Jerusalem outside the city where he will be for three days, and next week we'll see him raise to new life and celebrate Easter. And a couple weeks ago, we wrapped up a series, we, we walked through a series called At the Movies, if you weren't here for that, it was a great time. We worked through multiple different uh, movies and looked at some of the themes that were there that teach us bigger themes. It was a good time. Ultimately, w- one of the things that we talked about there is how many of these movies that we watched or that we talked about and some that we're thinking about in this time as we were working through it. I mean, I've gone back and watched them and realized that there were things in them that I didn't remember. 
You know, like there's, you know, moments that like you're watching, you forget completely about these moments in the movie that are really embarrassing and had me like running to grab the remote to like change the channels or change it so that my kids didn't see it, right? It was like, oh gosh, how did I not remember that that was there? Or, or it was just kind of like watching them for the first time. And this morning as we turn to this passage in John chapter 19, what I hope for us is that this would be one of those moments where we hear John chapter 19. We hear the story of Jesus's trial and his, him being tried and, and beaten and then carried to a cross where he laid down his life between two criminals and was crucified and then buried, that we hear this like it's for the very first time. Like maybe rather than reading along, and I, I, I don't think that we're going to have these on the, on the um, I think maybe we will. Let's not put these on the, on the screen. What I want you to do is just listen. And maybe by God's grace that we would hear this, hear God's word for the, like it's the very first time. And so I'm going to do something that I don't normally do. We're going to read all 42 verses here. And I just want you, maybe whatever position is the best for you, if it's closing your eyes or whatever, just to hear these words, God's word. It tells the story of him being led from, from Pilate to be flogged and then tried and ultimately crucified. Hear these words as if it was for the first time. So John chapter 19, these are the words of the Lord. Beginning in verse 1, it says, Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. And the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head, and they clothed him in a purple robe and went up to him again and again, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they slapped him in the face. And once more Pilate came out and said to the Jews gathered there, Look, I bring him out to you and let you know that I find no basis for a charge against him. And when Jesus came out and wearing the crown of thorns and the purple of robe, purple robe, Pilate said to them, Here is the man. And as soon as the chief priests and the officials saw him, they shouted, Crucify, crucify. But Pilate answered, you take him and crucify him. As, as for me, I find no basis for a charge against him. And the Jewish leaders insisted, we have a law, and according to the law, he must die because he's claimed to be the son of God. And when Pilate heard this, he was even more afraid, and he went back inside of the palace. And where do you come from, he asked Jesus, and Jesus gave him no answer. Verse 10, he says, do you refuse to speak to me, Pilate said. Don't you realize that I have the power to either free you or to crucify. And Jesus answered, you have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Therefore, the one who has handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. From then on, Pilate tried to set Jesus free, but the Jewish leaders kept on shouting, if you let this man go, you are not a friend of Caesar. Anyone who claims to be a king opposes Caesar. Pilate heard this. He brought Jesus out and sat down at the judge's seat in a place known as the, stone, as the stone pavement. It was the day of preparation of the Passover, and it was about noon. Here's your king, Pilate said to the Jews, and they shouted, take him away, take him away, crucify him. Shall I crucify your king, Pilate asked? We have no king but Caesar. The chief priest answered. Finally, Pilate answered him, or Pilate handed him over to them to be crucified. And so the soldiers took charge of Jesus and, carry, and carrying his own cross, he went out to the place of the skull in Aramaic called Golgotha. 
And there he was crucified. And there they crucified him with two others, one on each side of Jesus. And Pilate had a notice prepared and fastened to the cross, and it read, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. And many of the Jews read the sign for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and the sign was in Aramaic and Latin and Greek. And the chief priest and the Jew, the chief priest to the Jews protested and said, do not write king of the Jews, but write this man claims to be king of the Jews. And Pilate answered, what I have written, I have written. And the soldiers crucified Jesus and they took his clothes and divided them into four shares, one for each of them. And the undergarments remaining, the garments were seamless and woven into one piece from top to bottom. And let us not tear it, they said to one another. And they, they said, they'll decide by giving lots who will get it. And this happened that scripture would be fulfilled that said, they divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. So this is what the soldiers did. Near the cross stood the mother, stood his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Cleopas and, and Mary Magdalene. And when Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, woman, this is your son and the disciple, here is your mother. And from that time on, the disciple took her into his home. And later, knowing that everything had been, had been finished and so that the scripture might be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. And a jar of wine vinegar was there. And so they soaked the sponge in it. And the sponge was on a stalk of hippus mm, plant. And they lifted it at Jesus' lips. And he received the drink. He said, it is finished. And with that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Now it was the day of preparation and the next day was a special Sabbath and because the Jewish leaders did not want the bodies to be left on the cross during the Sabbath, they asked Pilate to break the, that the legs would be broken and the bodies taken down. And so the soldiers therefore broke the legs of the first man who had been crucified with Jesus and then of the, that of the others. But when they came to Jesus, they found that he was already dead and they did not break his legs. Instead, one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, bringing a sudden flow of blood and water. And the man saw it and gave and has given testimony, and his testimony is true. And he knows that he, is tell that he tells the truth, and he testifies so that you also may believe that these things happened so that Scripture would be fulfilled. Not one of his bones was, will be broken. And the other Scripture says that they would look at this one that they pierced. And later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus, and jo Joseph was one of the disciples of Jesus, but he was secretly a disciple of Jesus for fear of the Jewish leaders. And Pilate, with Pilate's permission, he came and he took the body away, and he was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. And Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh, of myrrh and aloe, about 75 pounds worth. And taking Jesus' body down, the two of them wrapped it in spices and strips of linen, in accordance with the Jewish custom. And they placed, and they, in the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden. In the garden, there was a new tomb where nobody had been laid. And because it was a Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. Let's pray. Lord, we celebrate this day and we recognize that a lot can change in seven days. As you entered a city with cries of Hosanna, of people celebrating that you are the King of Kings, by the end of the week, 
everything has changed and that same crowd is yelling, crucify him. And six hours later, Father, your, your, your son goes from hanging on a cross to being lifeless in a tomb. And so this morning, as we come to this passage of scripture, we do so humbly. God, we come and we want to hear from you. We, God, we, we ask that you, by your grace and your mercy, open our eyes and our ears, that we would hear afresh and anew what you have to say to us from this passage. God, I trust, I trust that your word does not return void. And so even in the reading of your scripture, God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would move in this moment to draw men to yourself as you yourself said, as we lift you up, that you would draw men to yourself. Let it be to salvation, Father, and to new life. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen and amen. I want to point out a couple different things this morning and just walk through this pretty quickly for us as we move towards celebration of communion this morning, there's a couple things that I think are in the story of Jesus's crucifixion from this passage and all of the others that kind of are the pieces that we can put together. And the first is this, that, that the cross was necessary because of our rebellion and rejection. I think sometimes in our world in general, a lot of people ask the question, did it really have to happen this way, right? And the reality is, yes, this is exactly the way that it had to happen. The cross is necessary because of our rebellion and rejection. And if you just take this passage alone, just the John passage that we just read, the rejection and rebellion that's in this passage is overwhelming. There's the soldiers that mock Jesus and they, they, they have their flog, they flog him and they put this crown of thorns and this purple robe on his head and they slap him and they, they mock him for, and call him the king of the Jews. Even though what they're saying is right, they're mocking him in his tone in their tone and they and then there's the the people that pass him by on the on the cross that one of the one of the other uh, records said that they wag their heads which is a funny way to 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 say that but they I mean you can just see them just just yelling at him and in Mark chapter uh, 15 it says that they hurl their insults they shake their heads at him saying so you're going to destroy the temple and build it back in three days come down from the cross and save yourself I mean, walking by him, this man that's on the cross and, I mean, beaten and bruised, almost unrecognizable. They're hurling insults at him and, 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 and throwing his own words back at him, rejecting him, mocking him. There's the thieves that are on the, the, the two thieves, one on his left and one on his right. In the beginning of the story, both of them hurl insults at him. We're going to talk about one of them in a second. It kind of seems like there's a, a little bit of a change of heart, and, and we'll look at that in a second. But the, the beginning, it says both of them hurl insults at Jesus. They say that you're the Christ. Why don't you save yourself? You could pass, you could give the guards and, 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 and the, the, the thieves and the people that are passing by a little bit of a pass. But, but honestly, what, what makes, leaves me scratching my head is, is, the, is the leaders, the Jewish leaders, the chief priests specifically in John chapter 19. Where it says this, that he, he as Pilate says, here's your king. And he shouts back, take him away and crucify him. Pilate again, shall we crucify your king? And he says these words, these damning words. We have no king but Caesar. 
from the man who's supposed to be the most spiritual among all of the Jews, right? The man who, who would go before the, the Holy of Holies, the one that would know the scriptures best among all of the people in Jerusalem at this moment. His words before the King of Kings is that we have no king but Caesar. These are not just words of affirmation of them as Jewish people under Roman law. These are, these are blasphemies. Not just, we don't trust this guy. He's legitimately saying, because he knows that God is their king. If you go back to the Old Testament, that God says, you will have no other God before me. No, recognize no other, no other God before me. Him saying these words is ultimately a blasphemy about his own heritage and the realities of what he and, and his, his people believe. When you pull back the curtain, the reality, it's not just this group of people that are there in Jerusalem that day. You kind of pull back to the Old Testament. You realize that throughout the time that the people of God have been moving to this point from the creation and rescue, being rescued by Moses from Egypt, there, there's countless moments of rebellion and rejection of God and his ways. And that all began in a garden right at the very beginning of creation where the very first two rejected who God was and, and, and all, all kind of catapulting towards this moment where God promises that there would one day be a, a moment where he would make all the things that were broken right. Where he promises there in the very beginning that he would, he would make all of these things right, even kind of putting, giving us a little bit of a picture as he closed Adam and Eve, as he takes them out of the garden and says, you can't be here anymore because of this broken relationship, but one day things will be fixed and we'll restore this. And he takes them outside and he takes the life of one of the animals of his own creation and he clothes them with that animal, shedding the blood of, the, of, an, of, of something else to clothe them. Gives us a foretaste of what he would do here on the cross. And so one, one author and commentator says this, that, that that's why this refrain is carried throughout John and other passages of scripture that the, to fulfill the scriptures, it, it runs over and over throughout that the purpose, what happens in this moment is, is the purpose of a sovereign God. It's his providential plan, his redemptive plan that was set in motion in the very beginning. This was not accidental. This is the way that it had to be. And on that day, in hanging on the cross, there are 28 prophecies from the Old Testament that are fulfilled in just Jesus' six hours on the cross that led the way for redemption. That by crucifying their own Savior, they led the way for our redemption. 28 prophecies are fulfilled. It had to be this way. This is exactly what Christ came for. He himself says it in John chapter 12, kind of the beginnings of, of what we've been studying right before we, we started in chapter 15. But the chapter 12, it says this, that he's telling the disciples, he says, my soul is troubled, but what should I say? Father, save me from this hour. No, it is for this very reason I came to this hour. So he says, Father, glorify your name. The reality is that this is exactly what had to happen. 
This was not an accident. It didn't get away. I've read before that, that, that some, some historians say this is kind of the moment in the story of, of Jesus' life where everything else was pretty, pretty okay, but this is the moment that everything kind of got too big for him. He couldn't handle it. It, it kind of got out of, out of hand for him. and got, got out. He, he, couldn't, he couldn't actually control what was happening, but no, this is exactly what was supposed to happen. It had to be this way that he would die on the cross. The cross was completely necessary because of our rebellion and our rejection of a savior, of our king and king and our our king of kings and creator. The second thing that I think is clear from the gospel record and from this passage specifically is this, that the cross requires us to see clearly and to make a choice. The cross requires for us to see clearly and to make a choice. And it seems like it happens for a couple of folks in, this, in the John passage, but, but I want to draw our attention to, to one specifically because I think it's so special for us as we kind of look at this story and, and kind of think about the, what's happening on the cross here. And it's one of these two criminals that Jesus hangs in between. And if you kind of look at all of the gospel records and the accounts, you get a pretty clear picture, an incredible picture of something special that happens on the cross there as these two. These three share this hill called Golgotha. It says in verse uh, in Matthew chapter 27, verse 44, it says, In the same way, the rebels who were crucified with him heaped insults on them. Again, this is both of them. Both of them are heaping these insults on, on them. In, verse, in chapter 23 of Luke, Luke records something different. He says, One of the criminals who was hung there, hurls insults at Jesus. So this has to be a little bit later than this initial part where Matthew tells us later on, he continues to hurl insults at Jesus. He says, aren't you the Messiah? Why don't you save yourself? And the other criminal rebuked him. And so beginning, they're both rebuking. And at some point in the day, we don't know why, but at some point in the day, there's a moment where something shifts for one of these two. We don't know if it's the right or the left. But he, this other guy begins to hurl insults at Jesus again. It's not like he's, he has his own things to, to worry about. Like, I guess to take his mind off of himself being crucified, he's going to say things to Jesus. And this other guy says, don't, why, don't, don't keep doing that. Stop doing what you're doing. He says, don't you fear God? He says, since we're under the same sentence that this man is under, what happens for this man, we don't, we don't really know what happens in these moments. We don't know what, what happens for him in, 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 that, in that moment to change his mind. But, but if you keep reading in verse 41 of chapter 23 of Luke, it says that we're under the punishment justly. He's talking to the other, other thief. He says, we're under this punishment justly for we are getting what we deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said to Jesus, Jesus, remember me. When you come into your kingdom. Again, we don't know what happened throughout the day for this man, for his life to be transformed in this moment, like in it, that he changes his tune completely. But I can tell you a couple things, just a couple observations that I think are pretty clear for us that, that we need to take note of. And what I hope, even as we kind of read through this and say, God, would you open our eyes to this as if we're hearing it for the very first time. What I'm hoping is, is that like this man, our eyes are opened to who Jesus is and our lives are transformed. Maybe for some of you, and, and honestly, I, I had not thought about, or I, I've been wrestling as to, to say this specifically. 
You know, next week, we're, obviously, it's, a, it's Easter Sunday, and I expect, by God's grace, there'll be lots of people that are here that maybe don't normally come to church on Sundays or, or maybe don't have a regular place that they worship. And maybe this is a, a, once, in a, a once in or twice a year kind of thing. But I know that in this room, there's lots of people who have been here years, who have been a part of this church or been a part of churches for years and years. And you're banking on some things in your life, some things that you're holding on to and saying, God, these are the reasons why I, I trust my and put my or I, I trust that I'm saved and I'm gonna spend eternity with you. And they're a lot about what you've done. They're a lot about your own personal record, maybe the, the time that you spent at church or the mission trips that you've gone on or the good things that you've done or the bad things that you haven't done, right? And you're holding on to your own things. And what I believe is that in the church, and, and by and large, there's lots of people who are holding on to a salvation that's based much more on themselves than on Jesus. And what I want you to hear this morning is that our only hope is in Jesus. And so I, right now I'm not talking to people who have never heard the gospel before. I'm talking to people who have heard it a thousand times. And for some reason you've, you've come to that point where you've just, you wrestled and wrestled. And, and maybe today is that day where you recognize that what you really need is to hang your hope in Jesus and in him alone. I don't know what happened for this man, but I can tell you this, that that I believe 100% because scripture tells us that it's the Holy Spirit, that's God that opens our eyes. I believe that on the cross in this moment, the Holy Spirit was at work in that man's life to bring salvation to him by opening his eyes that he would hear and see the grace and the mercy of God. And what, I, what is an incredible encouragement to me is that the, here this morning for us, that no matter what your circumstances, that I believe that God through the power of the Holy Spirit can open your eyes to your desperate need for salvation in the same way that he did to this man on the cross. Again, I, I, I trust that there was, there was the Holy Spirit's working. What I also believe is that it was the words of Jesus as Jesus was on the cross, that these moments where Jesus, there's what they call seven sayings of Jesus on the cross. There's seven moments where Jesus kind of speaks. But, but maybe that moment where Jesus just thinking about some of the things that Jesus says, where he says, forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. As insults are being hurled at them, as he's being, as he's being hung on a cross, he speaks out these words, forgive them, for they know not what they do. I can imagine that there's this slow realization for this man who's hanging next to Jesus, that he's one of those who needs to be forgiven. And think about this. We prayed this just a moment ago that his word never returns void. And we're seeing in this passage the fact that his word is not returning void, even on the cross. That there on the cross, Jesus saying, forgive them for they know not what they do. This man's life is transformed and he's forgiven on the cross with Jesus. Maybe it's the wonders of Jesus. Maybe, maybe looking at Jesus, the dignity at which Jesus suffers and, and the way that Christ suffers. Maybe, maybe he sees that this man on the cross next to him doesn't look like a man that's condemned, but a man that's on a mission to do something way bigger than just die that day. I, I don't know what specifically it was. I know that at some point this man's eyes are opened by the power of the Holy Spirit to the fact that this man being crucified next to him is the one that's his only hope. Pastor J.C. Ryle points out a couple things that I, I think are what happens for this man on the cross. 
that I think are important for us to hear this morning. And the first thing that happens is those, that's the, that he's, the Holy Spirit moves and he hears the words of Christ and he sees Christ. But, but what he does in these moments is he recognizes his own guilt. Listen to what he says. We are justly condemned. He recognizes that he's a sinner. And then secondly, he confesses Christ's innocence that he says, this man has done nothing. And so listen, when we talk about repentance and, and restoration, it, what it, it begins, repentance begins by recognizing our own sin and recognizing, secondly, God's holiness. That God is sinless and Jesus is sinless and perfect in all of his, all of his ways. And so s repentance for us is, as we come to this place, and we'll talk about repentance in, in just a moment. This repentance that happens comes first by recognizing our own sin and our need. Secondly, by recognizing Christ's holiness and perfection. Third, he puts his faith in Jesus to save him. He says, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He's putting his faith on the cross in, this, in the man that's next to him that he recognizes is something greater than himself. And he confesses that he believes that Jesus is the Lord. Listen what he says. Remember me. I put my faith in you when you come into your kingdom. And lastly, he prays. Right there on the cross, right there in front of all the people who have heard him hurl the insults that many of them probably know what he did, that know the record that brought him to the cross. He prays to the one that's sitting next to him. He says, remember me. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. When you think about this, that what he experienced in that moment was a complete life transformation complete life transformation because he, because what Jesus does is, is right there on the cross, Jesus transforms his life and he experiences God's mercy and grace. And it had nothing to do with the things that he had done or not done. We're gonna wreck our world, the reality that, that this man has, he's, he didn't take a, he didn't take a, a, a post-salvation class, but he died that day and he ended up when he closed his eyes in death, he opened his eyes to experience eternal life with the Father in heaven. It had nothing to do with his record, his good or his bad. And what I hope for us is that, that we recognize what happened for this man can happen for any of us if we would but put our faith in him. We would just trust him for salvation and, 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 and think and recognize that we have no hope outside of we. It's not that we need a little help. It's not that we need assistance. We need a savior. We're dead in our trespasses and sin is what it says. We don't need, we don't need a doctor. We need Jesus to raise us from the dead. And if you've limped along life, maybe, I, I, listen, I, again, I wasn't planning on doing this, but this happened for me June 10th of 1997 when after a little bit of time I wrestled and I wrestled. I believed that I was saved because of the things that I did, but God had stirred in my heart that something was not right with my relationship with him. And June 10th of 1997, believing that I was, that I was walking with Jesus, he opened my eyes to the fact that I'd never put my faith and my trust in him. I mean, I'm talking like I led Bible studies. Many of you have done the same. I used to preach to my student ministry, the student ministry where I was a part of for years. I would preach on Wednesday nights. I, I, led, I led people to Christ. I was praying with people that didn't know Jesus and, and walking them through the sinner's prayer. But I myself had never put my faith in Jesus. I was banking on all my good deeds and the things that I had not done that my other friends had done. 
I was banking on the number of passages of scripture that I read and my attendance at church. And listen, I had not done a lot of great things or a lot of bad things at that point, but it didn't matter. My hope was in the wrong place. It wasn't in Jesus. My, my hope for each of us is that we would recognize our great need for him and fall on his grace and trust him for salvation and then continue to grow because what happens for us is it's not that one moment that we recognize our sin, but we continue to grow in, in our relationship with him and he exposes more and more the places where we bring to him in repentance and he, he, he forgives us and we grow in our relationship with him and understanding of just how great our need for him is. It's not a one, it is, salvation is a one-time moment, but that it continues over and over as he reveals in our hearts our need for him. And my hope for all of us is that we come to this place this morning. And maybe it's an affirmation that you have been to that place as we celebrate communion and you can celebrate that alongside others that are here. But maybe for some of us this morning, it's that moment where you trust him for salvation, where you say, God, I've put my hope in everything else but you. And today I want to put my hope in you alone. The last thing the cross, the cross offers for us as we look at this, what the cross offers for us is redemption and restoration and relationship. Is redemption and restoration and relationship. It's pretty incredible what happens as Jesus tells this this man that's on the cross as he confesses that he knows that he's a sinner in need of a savior and Christ forgives him. What he says to this man is that today you will live with me in paradise. And so he's telling him, listen, I, what, what, what's going to happen is that you've been redeemed. Today you will live with me in paradise. Today I'm going to restore you to that relationship that you were meant for. Today you, you've, been, you've been redeemed and you, you've been restored and you're going to have relationship with him. What, what is most incredible to me about this passage, and I'm skipping a lot because I've talked on other things that I didn't mean to talk on this morning or didn't plan on. But, I, but the fact that Jesus says, today you will be with me. He doesn't say, hey, everything's good, taken care of. He says, today you will be with me in paradise. And that word paradise, what, he's, what he refers to is, is obviously heaven, but it gives even a, a deeper kind of picture of restoration to what, was, what existed before the fall, before Adam and Eve rebelled against God's good and perfect plan and ate the fruit that God said don't eat, and they were cast out of the, out of the garden in paradise, the place where God was in relationship with his creation and a perfect relationship. You're going to return back to what, was, what you were created for. And you'll be with me. Not only am I not going to forget you, I'll do you one better. I'm going to be with you forever. In the place that you were created to be. The cross restores, it offers restoration and redemption and relationship. But it requires that we see clearly our own sin and make a choice to follow him. It requires that we, may, we see clearly the desperate need for our, a Savior and we choose to put our faith in him. And this morning as the band comes and, and, and we, we, we wrap up and, and move towards communion, uh, there's two parts for this. I, I want to say communion is, is, is really a family meal for us. And what I mean by that, it, it's a meal that we celebrate as a family, as the people of God. 
And there's nothing magical about the juice that's in those little cups and the, the gluten-free biscuit thing that's back there. There's nothing magical about it. It doesn't, it doesn't save us. It doesn't bring salvation for us when we take the juice and eat the, eat the bread. What it is is a reminder of what Christ did. And so when we say a family meal, what I mean is that if you've trusted Christ for, for salvation, you're a part of the family of God. This is one of those places that we celebrate. That we, that we gather around the table as a family and say, God, we believe that you've done these things and given us new life and given us peace with, with you, but also peace with each other. But if you have not put your faith in Jesus, what I would encourage you is to not take the, the, the elements that are back there. Because again, they're not magical. It's just some juice and just a little bread. What I would encourage you to do this morning is to take Christ. To say, Jesus, for a long time, or maybe for, the, for a long time, I've put my faith in all kinds of other things, but today I want to put my faith in you. And if that's you this morning, as we sing the, the first part of this song, and as everybody kind of moves, I want to start a conversation with you. I'm going to stand right here. This is going to be real old school, right? Maybe some of you haven't been a part of a church for very long, and you don't know that this is the way we used to do this. We ask you to come forward. I'm just going to stand right here. I'm going to ask you to come forward as everybody else goes to the back, and I want to start a conversation with you about what it means to have a, have a relationship with Jesus. And you're like, that's a little weird. Yeah, it was a little weird for a guy hanging on a cross to be like, hey, I need you in front of everybody. And in front of everybody, he did so. And so you can in front of everybody, if, if this is really what you desire to have, I'm not trying to, I, I believe if you really want to have a relationship with Christ, walking to a front is not that big of a deal. And so as everybody else moves to the back to grab the elements and then moves to their seats, I'm going to give you some instructions. I'll be here, and I want to start a conversation about what it means to have a relationship with Jesus. As they play the song and sing the first part of this old hymn, I have decided to follow Jesus. For those of you who are, who are believers and have walked with Jesus and put your faith in Jesus, I want to invite you to go to the back and grab those elements and come back to the seat. We're going to take those together. So just find your way back there. We're going to sing, and, and they're going to play, and this can kind of be just a moment for us. And once everybody kind of gets back to their seat, we'll, we'll take these elements together and then sing again um, on the back side of that and celebrate what Christ has done. But if you need to trust Christ for salvation this morning, don't go get a cup with juice and a little bread in it. Come and have a conversation with me about what it means to have a relationship with Jesus. Let me pray for us. Jesus, we love you. And we thank you that you loved us first. And the evidence of your love and the greatness of your love was never more clearly displayed than on the cross where you laid down your life. And as we, go to, as we go to grab these elements that you told us to, to every time we do this, to do, do this in remembrance of you, what we remember is what you did on the cross, the love that you displayed so clearly, the blood that you poured out, the body that was broken for us. And it had to be this way. And you knew it had to be this way. And yet, it, with all of what you knew, you went to the cross for the joy that was set before you to rescue those who you loved so desperately. And so as we celebrate that, as those who, who have put our faith in you, as we celebrate that this morning, God, may our hearts be stirred to the greatest joy that you have given us everything that we need.
And God, what I believe without, without a doubt is that the Holy Spirit moved on the cross that day for that criminal, for that thief, and it moves in this room right now. And I pray that you would stir those who have not put their faith in you, that this morning would be a day of salvation for them. And maybe they think it would be embarrassing to walk to the front because people are going to ask questions because they thought that they already were a believer. But God, I know that there's nothing more precious than having a relationship with you no matter how embarrassing we think it might be. So move, Father. And bring salvation and repentance and new life in this place. And we'll celebrate the gift that you've given on the cross of Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast. Share this episode with someone in your life. Make sure you subscribe to be notified so you never miss a sermon. If you're interested in learning more about Rolling Hills, download our Rolling Hills app, follow us on social media, or visit our website at rollinghills.church. The Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast is a part of the Rolling Hills Podcast Network available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. Thanks for tuning in.